Proverbs chapter number 18. Proverbs chapter number 18. Just about every time I start thinking, you know, maybe we ought to start studying something else instead of Proverbs on Wednesday night. Somebody, uh, or somebody's plural, uh, says something about, I'm so glad we're studying in Proverbs. And so, you know, it's kind of a, kind of encouragement to keep going. Now, you know, I keep thinking, well, gee, I'm afraid somebody might get tired of it. Of course, I, I don't know why you would. Proverbs is such a great book. But so that's where we're at tonight. We're going to start in verse one and we'll just, uh, we'll go a little while and stop. And so, uh, maybe get down to verse 9 or 10 tonight anyway, something like that. Verse number 1, Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. You know, I, I suppose that as long as we live, we'll never get over the fact that, uh, you know, the king's English back in, in 1611 uh, was considerably different than what it is nowadays. And uh, and a lot of times, you know, we read it, it's accurate. There's no errors in this blessed old book. But sometimes it's just not quite the way that we would say it today, and we need to really stop and think about it. Some people, some people look at that as a bit of a hindrance, and, of course, the cry goes out, oh, we need a new translation and this and that, and we really don't. I think that is a good thing that, uh, that we have to really stop and look and examine what we're reading because a lot of times I think if it's written just in today's English, so to speak, uh, that that we might just read through it and make assumptions about what it is, and so I'm glad I'm glad it's the way that it is. Through desire, a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. Now, you know, I, I understand that it is appealing to some people, but the very thought of seclusion is distasteful to other people. They just don't like it. You know, personally, uh, Bev and I are totally different. We were raised totally different. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, it, that's not at all bad, by the way. It brings some balance to your life. Uh, uh, I keep thinking about, you know, the woman and the fact that she is the completer and uh, so forth, but... But we're different, even if it's on a vacation. Rick and Lisa, they've got a place up in the hill country there. They like to go, and it's you go way back in there. I'm, and I don't know, it's way off the beaten path, and you go through these locked gates and get back in there, and there's, a, I guess, a cabin and a pond and a fire pit out there and what have you. And I thought, you know, that sounds great. Bev would have a nervous breakdown out there. Uh, you know, no, she's more of a San Marcos kind, <laughs> and uh, you know that she just likes <laughs> she likes to be active, and 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 I'm just the opposite. It d- doesn't bother me. I enjoy it. I, you know, I can sit under a shade tree and read a good book, or 
uh, read the Bible or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, as distasteful as seclusion might be to some people, that's the price you have to pay for some things. Notice he says, having separated himself. That's talking about withdrawing oneself from 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 all else. And in this case, it's talking about a person who withdraws himself from everything, uh, everything that would distract from his purpose of seeking wisdom. Now, it seems like just about every week, naturally, that the subject of wisdom comes up because that's what Proverbs is. It's a book of wisdom. And so naturally, we're going to be confronted with that subject over and over again. Uh, but we've we've talked about the fact that it's more precious than silver and gold and precious stone and that, you know, that we're to seek after wisdom. And uh, and here's a picture of that, a fellow that just, you know, takes some time off and gets away. He's out there wherever, all by himself, and uh, nothing can bother him. And the purpose there is that he's seeking after wisdom. One of our problems today is we get so occupied with so many different things, not necessarily things that are sinful. That's why I've often said, you know, the biggest enemy of the best is not the worst, it's the good. The biggest enemy of the best is not the worst, it's the good. Because we we know the the worst things, we shouldn't do that. And so we abstain from that. We don't do it. It wouldn't be right, so we, we refuse to do it. But we get so engaged in things that in and of themselves are not sinful. And so we get all tied up in those things, thinking, reasoning in our mind, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Well, no, you're not unless unless what you're doing keeps you from what God wants you to do. Unless it keeps you from the very best. And so uh, uh, a lot of people are just so tied up in all of these other things. And I, I could just start naming a list of things. Probably some things come to your mind. I, all, all of my boys played little league football and baseball growing up. That was a... You know, that was a part of the growing up process. We just, you know, thought that's uh, what they ought to do. That's what they wanted to do, and that's what they did. But I'm telling you, you've got to have some ground rules on that because if you're not careful, you can get so involved in things like that that it becomes a distraction from the most important things in life. And, you know, it just seems like today that few people seem to realize if we're going to excel in anything, we have to sacrifice something else. So, regardless of what it is, if you're going to be a success, that means you've got to give up something else. I think about you men that own or operate uh, companies and uh, businesses and what have you, and especially... uh, those that started from scratch and just, you know, I mean, didn't didn't have anything and built something up out of out of nothing. You had to be devoted to that that company. Am I right? I mean, you can't you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I know we need to get this done today, but I've got that fishing trip planned. I'm not letting anything get in the way of that. No, a customer calls and you got to go, even if it means you got to give up something that you like. And life is a trade-off like that. It's like that way for everybody. I'll never forget Dad shortly after I was saved and uh, 
and got immediately involved in the things of the Lord. And he said to me one day, he said, Son, don't you like to hunt and fish anymore? And, and I said, well, sure I do. I, uh, why? And he said, well, you don't ever go. He said, I try to get you to go every weekend, and, and you won't go. And I said, Dad, I like to fish and hunt just as much as I ever did. I just found something that I love more, and that's the Lord. I'd rather serve God than I would do all of these other things. And so you, you, you've got to be willing to give up something. And so here in our text, it's picturing a man whose desire for wisdom is so great that he separates himself for the purpose of getting alone without distractions where he can think clearly and deeply and, uh, and hopefully reach his goal of, a, of obtaining wisdom. Verse number 2, a fool. Well, here goes the contrast, just, just the opposite. We have the wise man here in verse number 1, and now we have the fool in verse 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Now, the wise man, it, just, it said, he shuts out everything else for the purpose of exploring wisdom and getting wisdom. But notice the, the fool doesn't have any desire for that whatsoever. It says he has no delight in understanding. He's stuck on stupid and, and, and feels good about it. He, he's just fine with that. Doesn't bother him a bit. You know, I don't know anything and I don't want to know anything. You know, and so the only desire that that he seems to have uh, is the fact that uh, from what he says in the last part, notice he hath no delight in understanding, but notice that implies he does have a delight in something, but that his heart may discover itself. And, and so if I read this right, his only desire is to appear to be intelligent, and he does so by displaying his ideas, his feelings, his opinions, and uh, this Hebrew word translated discover there, that's exactly what that means, that his heart may discover itself. And we've already, we've already read several verses pertaining uh, to that. In chapter number 12 and verse number 13, for example, he said, The wicked is snared by the transgression of his lips, but the just shall come out of, out of trouble. That's the wrong verse. Verse 23, A prudent man concealeth knowledge... Notice, but the heart of fools proclaimeth foolishness. And so it's the same idea as this man having the desire to discover or to put on display, to bring out of his heart and to others and to put on a display that he's really more intelligent than he is. Chapter 13, verse 16, Every prudent man dealeth with knowledge, but a fool layeth open his folly. And that word, words layeth open implies exactly the same thing as the word discover here in our text. And so uh, Solomon mentions this over and over again. You stop and think about it, and, and probably the most vocal people on earth are those who are the least deserving of our attention. If you don't believe that, just watch just watch the news on TV, uh, all of the uh, commentators on TV, and, and listen to them. And I'm telling you what, they are so very vocal about what they believe, and they just hammer and hammer and hammer on it. 
you, you know, we, as Christians, we're often accused of being intolerant. And the accusation comes from those with whom we disagree about various issues. Oh, you're just intolerant. You Christians, you, you just don't love people and so on. You're just all, all a bunch of hypocrites. And the fact of the matter is, you know, we're not the ones that keep raising the issue, you know, in their face. And, and, and trying to embarrass them and hurt them. Oh, they know that we disagree. They know we take a stand against their sin. But they're the ones that are so vocal about it, you know, and they have their, they have their gay pride parades and all of that nonsense and just flaunt their sin right in the face of society. But not on, only that, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, those people are on a mission. I mean, they are out to get recruits, and they are working at it, and they're successful. You think they're going to shut up about it? No, they're not going to shut up about it. They're vocal about it. And, and and so uh, there there's so many people in this world today when it comes to, and I guess since politics is on the front burner, we all think about that maybe more than anything, but people that want to appear to be intelligent. And some of the things they say, it's like the, the, the president the other day quoting the Bible to justify allowing the transgenders to use the same bathrooms as our school kids. Really? He, he said something to the effect that, you know, well, my Bible, you know, teaches that we're to the golden rule, you know, do unto others who would have them do unto us. And on that basis, he justifies some nonsense like that, you see. And, and, and so, listen, we're a whole lot better off if, if if we don't know the facts, if we don't have wisdom, we're better off to be quiet about it than we are to speak about it. It's like someone else, Mr. Olstein uh, here the other day, and the statement that he made in regards to the gays and what have you, and that, you know, that God accepts them and so forth, and we ought to, and... Uh, uh, well, naturally, we ought to love them. We ought to be kind to them. There shouldn't be any gay bashing on our part and stuff like that. We don't mistreat people. But that's what not what he was getting at, is that we ought to welcome them into our churches with open arms and so forth. And, uh, and, 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 and these people that are not knowledgeable enough of the Bible to even be speaking about it, you know, trying to take a stance and... and Writing books about it. Well, verse 3, I've got to get on from that. Verse 3, when the wicked cometh, and you better believe they will, when the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt and with ignominy reproach. Now, before we look at this as a whole, we need to consider those, those two key words, contempt. That means open disrespect or willful disobedience, scorn. Ignomy means disgrace or dishonor. And so unlike the person who desires wisdom, the wicked person has nothing but scorn for those things that, well, as Paul put it, those things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of a good report, those things that that Paul tells us to think on 
uh, these people despise those things. And not only do they despise those things, they turn around and abuse those who embrace them. They attack you for embracing those truths. And we see it all the time in our society today. As I just said, the people that are the most vocal against Christians are those that, that scorn, that ridicule the Word of God, those that, uh, that show no respect for it whatsoever. And uh, so just mark it down. If you're determined that you're going to live your life at the principles of God's Word, if you're going to earnestly contend for the faith, as the Bible tells us to do, there are going to be those that are going to attack you, and uh, maybe not physically, but they will certainly verbally assault you and try to uh, try to drag you down any way they can. In certain conditions, it just might cost you your job. A lot of people have lost their uh, job because of the fact that they were were fired as a result, not that they did anything wrong, but the fact that they took a stand for Christ. Verse 4, The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. Well, you know, I can't read that without thinking of some of the scenic places that I've been in, and, you know, being born and raised in the Ozarks and so many times I've seen the deep pools of spring-fed water that that appeared to have no bottom to it whatsoever, and it, that would feed a sparkling brook, and that that carried its life-giving force for miles and miles and miles away. And we have several of those big springs like that in Missouri. It's known for that, and uh, and. and and that's that's a good picture here of the way it is with the words of a wise man. These notice deep waters. That's speaking about depth. It speaks about abundance. It speaks about the force of it, and and it has to do with the counsel of a wise man. And whenever Solomon said, "He that hath knowledge spareth his words," he's not implying that was because of a lack of something to say. Uh, the wise man has an abundance of truth in his heart, and when he speaks, it's out of the depths uh, of great knowledge and wisdom and, and things that a lot of times can't be fully fathomed by the, the ordinary person because they, they despise understanding, as we just read. You might say something that is 100% scriptural, and very profound and exceedingly helpful, and yet they they look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They have not a clue what you mean, and they just don't get it. But for those that do have a yearning and a desire for wisdom and understanding, when the wise person speaks, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is like a flowing brook, and it's plenteous, and it's refreshing. And one of the most great things in life is to be around someone that loves the Lord and knows the Word of God and, and has wisdom, and, and, and it becomes obvious as you speak with them. And, you know, we all learn from each other. 
And, uh, and that, that's why it's important that we interact with one another. And, and some of the greatest lessons that you'll ever learn in life won't be here seated in the church auditorium necessarily. It might be in a coffee shop with a friend. It might be out, you know, in a boat. And there's a slight possibility it might be while you ladies are shopping uh, with each other or something like that, and the chatter, you know, you're talking to one another. Uh, you just never know. But but my, my point is, whenever 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 you hear something that you know is coming out of the depths of the heart of a wise person. Grab onto those words, cling to them. Don't don't just dismiss them with a wave of your hand, like oh well, yeah, that yeah, that's all right. Uh, because what they say can be exceeding helpful in your life. Verse five: It is not good to accept the person of the wicked to overthrow the righteous in judgment. And when you first look at that, and a lot of a lot of preachers have interpreted this to say uh, that there are two things that are not good, which is one, accepting the wicked, and number two, over, overthrowing the righteous. Now, that's correct. Both of those are wrong. Uh, but, but I believe this verse here, it seems more likely to me that it's a warning to people that would seek to overthrow the righteous in judgment by by the means of accepting people who are wicked. No, notice he says this this phrase, "accept the person." That that's showing partiality. It's not good to accept the person to show partiality of the wicked. And notice here's the purpose, the intent of the wicked, to overthrow the righteous in judgment. And by the way, that that's more common than what we might think today. Sort of like uh, what just happened in the protests that are going on. I forgot where it's at. This, uh, was it high school, I guess, high school athlete that uh, anyway raped this young girl and... Uh, what he ended up with six months is all that he got, and they said he'll get out in three for good behavior. That 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 that's all he got, and uh, I'll tell you there there ought to be some people protesting nonsense like that. But but you know it's all a matter of who you know and how much money you have a lot of times, and 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 this stuff goes on every single day in our course. We'd like to think that we have the perfect judicial system, that justice is always meted out and that everything's fair and square, but it's not that way. But listen, he says here, it's not good to accept or show partiality uh, of the person of the wicked that they might overthrow the righteous in judgment. Our concern needs to be for what's right, for what's proper, and far too often we side with those that are on the wrong side. And, and, and it shouldn't make any difference. Whenever you stand, take a stand on something, even if it means you have to stand against mom and dad or your own friends or your own family, you need to stand for what is right instead of just doing something that will gain you some advantage in some way. And... Uh, 
you know, we think about the trouble we might get into if we, you know, tell the truth and take a stand for what's right. And we forget about the fact that uh, we're going to get in more trouble if we fail to fear the Lord and we go ahead and rebel against Him knowingly, thinking that, oh, well, you know, I know I probably shouldn't do this, but I'll be the exception to the rule, you know. I, I really doubt that anything bad is going to happen. I had somebody some time ago in regards to something that they were doing that was absolutely wrong, and their explanation for it, yeah, but God is a God of mercy. I don't worry about that because God, God is merciful. And I know God understands. That's one of the most stupid things I've ever heard in my life. That's presuming on the mercy of God. And let me tell you, you go back to the Old Testament, and the sin of presumption was the one sin for which there was no sacrifice. You are in dangerous territory whenever you presume that you knowingly can do what is wrong and that because God is a God of grace that he's going to overlook that. Just do what's right and leave the results with God. Verse number 6. A fool's lips enter into contention. Now you can bet on that. His lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. You know, the the wise man is going to do everything possible to live peaceably with others. I mean, that's just that's just wisdom. That's not only wisdom; that's righteousness. And the Bible tells us so much as lieth in you. He says, "Live peaceably." With all men, we ought to be trying to get along with everyone. We Listen, we're not going to agree with everyone, but at least we can be at peace with one another. But the fool is somebody that's looking for a fight. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They're just daring somebody, you know, to knock it off. And according to this, he's a person that meddles in things that are not his business, and he disputes issues uh, about which he is not necessarily well versed and in doing so he invites judgment or punishment in his life his lips enter into contention and his mouth calleth for strokes and uh, it's like he's just in, in inviting trouble into his life as a result of the of the contention that he creates now if you don't think this is really a serious matter just look at the next verse because it shows us how serious this is. A fool's mouth, and that's what we're talking about in verse 6, a fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. This is the result of the fool's foolishness. You know, he sets out to debate others. He wants you know, he wants them to see how wise he is and how much he knows. And so he opens his mouth when he should have kept his mouth shut. He speaks up. He enters into a debate with the intention of winning the argument and defeating the other person. And the bottom line is he ends up destroying himself. And it's like one old Puritan writer said, he said, there's no need to dig a pit for the fool, he digs it for himself. And, and that's right. Uh, we become our own worst enemy. Whenever we 
act in a foolish manner and create contention with other people and do those things that we know are wrong, we become our own worst enemy. In other words, we bring punishment upon ourselves. That's what he's saying. His lips are the snare of his soul. And, you know, those words don't just come back to haunt you. They come back to hurt you. You know, it's one thing to look back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't said that. But it's another thing to look back and say, yep, that was my downfall right there. If I had just kept my mouth shut, if I hadn't engaged in that argument, if I would have just dropped it and walked away, everything would be all right. And now look what I've done as a result of, uh, of trying to win the debate. Verse 8, the words of a tale bear are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Well, if I understand my Bible, the tale bears one of the most despicable people that you'll ever meet. He's a person who ruins reputations. He's a person that destroys relationships. He's someone that has no respect for the laws of God, has no compassion for other people. Leviticus 19 and verse 16 says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a tale bear among thy people. Whenever we take it upon ourselves to spread the news about the faults and the failures of other people, we're violating God's, God's laws. You know, so many times somebody says, Well, I guess you heard, Oh, brother so-and-so did thus and thus the other night. And now all of the church knows about it, and he doesn't seem to have a repentant heart whatsoever. You know, it just looks to me like that the church is going to be forced to take disciplinary action against that person. I've heard that almost word for word. What they don't think about sometimes is that old brother so-and-so that did such and such the other night was acting out of character. It's not something that he normally does. He was in a situation where his temper, you know, something happened. His temper got the best of him or depression got the best of him or whatever. So he ends up doing something that he shouldn't have done. And right now, look, you can't force repentance on anyone. But here's my point. A lot of times we are so quick to deal with those things that involve those sins that repulse us and at the same time, you've got old blabbermouth sister Lulibel in the choir, and she's been, she's been gossiping for months or even years, and no, nobody ever says, you know, we've got to do something about that. Uh, let me tell you, the chances are what she's doing will be more damaging to the church than what happened with brother so-and-so. And, and we need to understand what a serious matter this is. Just because you know something about someone doesn't mean that you ought to tell everyone. Doesn't mean you ought to tell anyone necessarily. Um, sometimes people say, well, preacher, you know, I, I, I know you're bound to know about this or that, and what, what about it? Well, what about it? You know, are there two or three witnesses? You know, what you say about another person might be true, but if there's not two or three witnesses against them, you don't have any grounds to proceed. 
and, and you need to drop it and pray for them and try to help them however you can. But let's say you do have two or three witnesses against them. I mean, it's an established fact that what they did was absolutely wrong. There's no doubt about that. And still, you have no business in spreading that news through the community. And that's why I often say, you know, our business is our business. What we do here as a church is nobody else's business. We come together and we discuss things and we meet and we make decisions. And uh, that's as far as it ought to go. And and notice he says... uh, these words of a tail bear, they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. In other words, I mean, they're like a poison that's been injected into a person's system. And, uh, and they not only hurt, they end up destroying people. Well, I think I'm going to stop right there tonight.